Good morning. It's a bit chilly out there today, but uh, those of you here, you're tough and you joined us. We're glad for that. And uh, those of you joining online, we're glad that, that you can be participating as well. Uh, my name is Mark. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel, and I'm excited to, to get to share from God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I will say last time uh, that I uh, preached, it was from Isaiah, and I covered eight chapters in one uh, sermon. And uh, this morning, I'm going to cover five verses. Um, so I will tell you, I spent 40 minutes covering eight chapters, so if you do the math, four or five minutes tops this morning, right? Uh, but it's Super Bowl Sunday, and that doesn't start for a few hours, so I know that none of you are in a rush, so, so we'll certainly uh, take, take our time as we work through uh, what God has for us. But uh, I certainly like to open with a prayer uh, as we prepare to hear from God and from his word. If you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, it, is, it is good to sing about your love and to just be reminded about it and to, to hear that and to hear others proclaim it and to proclaim it ourselves. So Lord, we, we want to be amazed and, and continually be amazed at your love for us. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful that, that as, I, as I stand up here, that I have your word to go to, that, that I don't stand up here and declare truths in my own power or my own brilliance, but Lord, it is my job to echo your truth and to declare you, what you want to say and to say that to the, the people here today. So Heavenly Father, I, I'm thankful for Jesus and, and his power that I get to lean on, uh, and I ask for his help today. Lord, may you speak to us as we need to be spoken to. May you open our, our hearts and our ears as they need to be opened. We ask for your help this morning. In the name of our Savior Jesus, amen. Well, we certainly live in a, in a culture and in a time that loves a good reboot. Uh, you sort of take a, an old story and put a, put a modern twist on it, maybe some nostalgic marketing, and you kind of just watch the, watch the money roll in, right? That's the theory in Hollywood these days. Some examples of that, there was supposed to be a, a Top Gun reboot this, uh, this past summer uh, that got bumped and is theoretically coming out this coming summer, 35 years after the original movie. Uh, we're currently on our third different version of Spider-Man. In the last 15 years, we, we went from uh, Tobey Maguire to Andrew Garfield to Tom Holland, our, our current understanding of what it means to be Spider-Man. I could ask how many different versions of Batman have you seen over the years? You know, who is your Batman? Uh, Planet of the Apes used to be, you know, people in ape costumes came out with CGI effects and sort of digital apes. Uh, and then Godzilla versus King Kong is due out uh, next month, uh, if you weren't aware of that. And I'll just say, it's not the first time, right? That, 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 that's not a new one. If you're like under 10, it might be, but everyone else, uh, we've been down that road before. And TV is not exempt from this either. We certainly see this in, in the TV industry. I was trying to think of like what was sort of who restarted this trend of, of the reboot. And the one that came to mind was Fuller House, sort of the, the update on Full House. And this isn't an endorsement. This is just an acknowledgement uh, uh, that these things exist. But they seem to be the, the front of sort of this reboot craze. Um, I will tell you, a, a movie near and dear to my heart and my childhood, Karate Kid, uh, got rebooted as Cobra Kai on, on streaming services. And, and then I shared, a, I don't know if it was the time before that what I preached about my love for Saved by the Bell in a very publicly embarrassing sort of way. Uh, and I, somebody just nodded way more enthusiastically than I was expecting. Um, 
And they're going, we're going back to Bayside. 30 years later, there's a, there's a new uh, reboot of that that, that just uh, came out. And, and so why this, this overwhelming number of reboots, I, I was thinking? And, and for some, it was a chance to get a do-over. Maybe a, a, a series or a, a movie was sort of getting off track, and, and it's easier sometimes to just sort of bulldoze it and start over than it is to try to get it back onto the right track. Maybe other ones, more of just sort of a, a nostalgic cash grab, sort of a, a movie with a, or a TV show with a built-in audience already. But I will say more often than not, reboots leave us frustrated. It's either we complain that it, it was just too much of the same thing. You took what we already liked and you just did it again and tried to get my money a, a second time. Or we go to it and we complain that well, that wasn't anything like what I originally fell in love with. They changed too much. You drifted too far from, from sort of the formula. But what if there was a reboot that took something established, took something known, and brought it back in a way that, that enhanced what was already there? Not necessarily new in kind, but new in quality. That would be quite a feat. And that's the task that John is going to tackle this morning in the letter 1 John, which is where we're going to be if you want to follow along uh, in your Bible. And this morning's theme is love. It's a theme that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. But John's going to take what we already know about love and he's going to apply to it what we see about love from the life of Jesus. And he's going to reboot it in a new and a greater way in the life of those of us who are followers of Christ. Let's see what John has to say. 1 John chapter 2, picking up in verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So John uh, addresses this section to his dear friends, and depending on uh, which translation in front of you, maybe yours says, uh, brethren or beloved. And he's going to use this phrase a handful of more times throughout the letter. And it's this term of endearment. It's this term of, of heartfelt concern. And I think it just highlights that this is, is he's not just speaking some abstract, abstract truth to an unknown audience. He's writing to those that he knows to those that he loves, to those that he cares for, and, and, and he has a personal and intimate relationship with them. So he calls them his dear friends. He deeply desires that they would know about Jesus and live in, uh, in the light and that they would learn from John about this. And to do this, he's going to point them back to follow an old command, the command of loving others. He says, verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. So love is, loving others is an old command. He, he actually won't say the word love until verse 10, but it's clearly what he's building up to here in this statement. 
Uh, John is not charting new ground in the Christian faith. The, the idea of loving others goes back a long ways. Uh, it was a, a foundational truth in the Old Testament. We find it in Leviticus as Moses is teaching the law to the Israelites. And in Leviticus 19.18, he says this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So through Moses, God is telling them that if you're going to be my people, my covenant people, here is what is expected of you. You're going to love those around you in the way that you would desire to be loved. But it was a foundational teaching of Jesus. So, so he, he brings it forward. And we see this in the Gospels as Jesus is teaching. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36, somebody asked this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So summing up the entirety of, of the teaching of the Old Testament could be done in two statements by Jesus. Love God first and love those around you next. See, Jesus did Cliff's Notes way before it was cool. And if you were born after the invention of the internet, Jesus did Spark Notes way before it was cool. Jesus didn't just say it one time, though. He, he said this repeatedly. He didn't let it just sort of get lost in all of the, the great things that he said. Elsewhere in John's gospel, he shares it an, another time. And he's, he's speaking just prior to Jesus going to the cross. He, he's having a, a final conversation with his disciples. And John chapter 13 says this, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in these key final moments that Jesus has with them, he, he goes back to the old commandment. And he made it new by tying his own life to it in the love that he had displayed for the disciples. This speech comes at, a, at an interesting time as Jesus, the, the son of man, the Messiah, the one who heals the sick, who calms the storm, humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples. He did a job that was saved for the lowest servant in the house, and it was now being done by the Lord. See, love comes to life when the Son of God is scrubbing the grime off of your feet in the pre-Nike era of footwear and showing you what it truly means to humbly love someone. Jesus was putting his final touches on the characteristics that, that he wanted to define his followers. They were to be a group of people identified by their love for one another. Paul echoes this. He picks this up in his letter to the Romans in chapter 13, verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. 
So as John is writing this at what we're looking at this morning, this, this command to love others is clearly a, a very well-established and certainly old command. But he also tells them in verse 7 that it's something that they've had since the beginning. And, and this beginning could be referring to a couple of, of different places. It could be referring all the way back to the Torah, to the law, uh, and the establishment of it there. But it could also be referring uh, to something as recent as that individual person's uh, start of their Christian faith, the, the beginning of their Christian life. So as people are hearing this, they're thinking back to that moment when, when Christ became their savior. Because as they came to that point, as, as they learned what Jesus taught about, surely this old command would have been an important truth passed along by John and by others. And love for others would have been one of those just key early truths. As you learn about Jesus and what he did for you, one of the first things we learn is that we are then to show that to others. And so as, as long as you would have been a follower of Jesus since the beginning, you would have known this command to love others. So it's definitely uh, an old commandment. And wherever we sort of place it, whether we put it all the way back in the, in the Old Testament, that that's what John ref is referring to, or if we sort of place it in the more recent, uh, as the individual sort of hearer of this letter would have thought back to the beginning of their own faith, um, either way, they've had it since that time. That truth has been a part of what they have understood. And, and I think you can make a, a decent argument for, for either case, all the way back or, or more recent. I lean towards the more recent that it's referencing sort of the beginning of their, of their Christian walk. So those that that know Jesus, know this old command that we are to love God and then to love others. One author, he put it really well, just simply said, the Christian life without love is nothing. The Christian life without love is nothing. But John doesn't just want this truth, this old command to just sort of live in the recesses of their memories. And so here's where we see him rebooting it. Verse eight, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We see in this section, loving others as Christ did is a new example of an old command. Now, before I, I flesh this out, um, I just wanted to share some of the things that run through my brain as, as I prepare uh, for a sermon in honor of it being sort of Super Bowl Sunday, me being a huge sports fan. Um, my mind went to this, this place thinking about this old command and this new command. And I was like, the old command is Tom Brady. And then the new command is Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Chiefs. And, and I had this whole illustration worked out. And then I realized that was probably heresy. So I put that away, you know. But it was, I just thought for you that, that are sports fans, just let you know, I'm trying. You know, we're trying to bring you in here on, on Super Bowl uh, Sunday, but, but they're, they don't want to walk that illustration out uh, too far because then I get fired. So, uh, <laughs> but John wanted them to see this old command come and be rebooted and come to life in a new way. As we get back on track now, loving others as Christ did is a new example of an old command. Whatever you thought that it meant to love others, Jesus showed up and raised the bar. Amen? I think we really kind of begin to see that in the, the second part of this verse. It says, it's truth, and we're going to have the truth of loving others, is seen in him, and then sort of theoretically, in you. Now, some translations don't know what you're, you're looking at this morning. They capitalize the him 
uh, to make it clear that it's referencing sort of the person of Jesus. And, and I actually personally prefer sort of that version of the, of the translation of this part of that verse. Because the truth is, never has perfect love been so plainly displayed as in the life of Jesus. I came across this as, as I was reading. I like the way that it was worded. said, uh, an epoch-changing event gives such a new meaning to the old command that John can speak of it as a new command. That Jesus was an epoch-changing event. And I, I like the grandioseness of that, just that, that it just lifts it to, to the significance that it was. Jesus is the light that is overcoming the darkness. And, and John writes of what was accomplished on the cross and, and that the ongoing impact from that in the world back then and in the life of the believers as, as darkness in this world begins to be crowded out. Now, we closed our, the sermon last week as, as Pastor Eric was preaching with, with verse six of, of chapter two, and it says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So that's sort of the launching point of where we go into today. And so this old command took on new life as the disciples got to see it firsthand in the life of Jesus. They got to see what it meant to actually live in the light. And those disciples gave Jesus plenty of opportunities to display his light, to show his love. They may not have always been easy to be around. And imagine spending time with Peter, who was known for speak first, think second, right? Uh, imagine the conversation that Jesus overhears where they're arguing over who gets to be the greatest in heaven someday. There's an opportunity to show some love. Imagine Jesus's reactions when children are trying to come to Jesus and the disciples say, no, he's too busy for you right now. Imagine, I assume, every interaction with Judas, who was sort of known for sticky fingers and eventually the betrayal of Jesus, that, that Jesus was the command of love come to life. Now, rules have a, a certain amount of, of power, sort of, you know, do this or, or don't do that, and there's, there's a value in them, but, but I think a rule, and, and, and we're speaking specifically here of this command, takes on a whole new level when we see it sort of come to life through an individual. Now, we're starting to, to get um, close to uh, the stage where, where my, my oldest daughter is, is coming across driving permit, possibly, right? We're, we're getting close to there. We're not there yet. We're not there yet, uh, but we're, we're, we're getting there. And so um, we could hand her the rule book. You know, here's the rules of the road, and, and, and we will, uh, you know, read these and, 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 and know the rules. But if there's one thing that Fairbanks offers, it's a literal crash course in bad driving 101, amen? <laughs> so, so we've started with, with her talking through things, sort of the right things to do and why, and what that other person is doing and why we don't think that that's a wise choice and a, and a bad decision. And I will tell you, as you drive around this town, there are no shortage of examples. I mean, who knew? that merging was an advanced driving technique until you lived in Fairbanks, right? You're like, that seems a whole lot more complicated, right? But we want these, this rule book to come to life and that she would see it play out in, in real examples and talk it out with her real mom and dad before she's the one then sort of holding the wheel and trying to remember what the rules say. We want those rules to come to life. 
Because see, it's easy to just read the old command of, of love your neighbor and just kind of let it live in your hearts as sort of a, a, a theoretical truth. Just sort of a, an assumed premise of being generally nice to other people. But John doesn't leave it there. And he elevates it to a new command as he tells you to not only love others, but to love others like Jesus did. And, and, and he gives in Jesus a whole lot of practical, real-world examples of ways to love people. Because, see, Jesus loved others that people wouldn't love, the socially and the physically unclean. See, the socially unclean would have been the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and, and just people called sinners. And, and Jesus loved those people. We're told that he loved the physically unclean as, as he ministered to lepers and people with various physical ailments. We're told that Jesus engaged people that the rest of the world avoided as he interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well. We're told that Jesus made time for children, a, a class of people at that time that were deemed unvaluable. Jesus showed patience when, when life around him with sort of human sin certainly presented plenty of opportunities to run out of it. And he, he definitely got to display this with the disciples. And Paul picks up this theme about loving as Jesus loved, and he gives us all of these one another's uh, that we get to, to look at and, and say, love like this. This is what it means to, to actually love someone. Just a couple of them. He gives a bunch of them. Here's a few. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. And we could go on and on, and there's certainly plenty more, but I promised you a five-minute sermon, so I'd better go faster. But he wanted us to love one another, and that's rooted in Jesus showing us what it meant to love one another. So here's my challenge for, for this section for us. Loving others is a lot easier said than done, right? It, it, it can be very easy to have a Christianity of words, to sort of nod our agreement when we're reminded to live in love like Jesus did. But, but John's gonna challenge them with that, and he's gonna do that in this third section of, of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You see, John doesn't leave us any middle ground when it comes to loving others. Verse nine, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So he uses these two main comparisons, uh, light contrasted with dark, love contrasted with hate. And John writes in a, frankly, just very sort of black and white manner. He says you can't represent Jesus, you can't claim to be a follower of Jesus if it's not represented in the relationships closest to you. So Jesus taught us to love our neighbor and, and then he went on to clarify what, what our neighbor is, that it's not just the house that lives next to us, as we would sort of use that word, but it's, it's the people that we come into contact with. It's the people that we have the opportunity to show God's love with. But John, in his writing here, actually doesn't say our neighbor. 
he chooses to say uh, that our love is displayed through our brother and sister. Now, maybe in a, in a quick reading, it'd be easy to, to take that on a, a familial level and maybe think of your siblings. If you're like me, maybe you're, you're grown up and I don't fight with my siblings in the same way that I used to. We've got a pretty uh, good relationship now. So clearly John's talking about you know, other people that, that fight with their siblings. He's actually using a, a word here that means you're Christian, brothers and sisters. He's talking about all those that are a part of the family of God. And I will tell you now, this just got harder, right? Now, I don't know you. I haven't met your family. Maybe the, the challenge to love your literal brothers and sisters is like as high of a bar as you can have. Like, so so I, I don't know that. But, but we are called to, in essence, look around this room. What do our relationships within the body of Christ look like? What, what does that say about our ability to love others? Because if we can't get this right, what hope do we have to go out there and get it right? See, start with the person sitting next to you or the person closest to you and remind yourself right now in this moment that, that God cares about how you love that person. And it says something about you and your love for the Lord. But then don't just stop there. Extend it further and, and go somewhere else in the room and what does your relationship to that person say about your love and your obedience to the Lord? Because see, if we aren't living out the one another's with those closest to us, how are we ever going to get it right with those further away from us relationally as we are called to do as well? Because see, lukewarm makes for bad drinking water, it makes for weak faith, and it makes for poor relationships. John doesn't leave us a lot of neutrality. He doesn't leave a lot of shadow uh, when it comes to personal relationships. In the same way that the absence of light is dark, the absence of love is the equivalent of hate. Now, a couple of, of I think, important clarifiers about this concept of love. It's, it's truly a, a big topic. We can't hit everything about it this morning. John's going to come back to it uh, multiple times in this letter, so, so we'll get a few more uh, attempts with it. But just a couple of clarifiers as, as I was thinking about it this morning. The first one is this. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Uh, this is something that, that I, I always bring up with couples when I get to do uh, premarital counseling, and, and we talk about... Um, what it means to love someone. And you tell a young couple that's got all the, all the feels and all the, the, the goo-goo eye thing uh, that, that feels sort of deeply in love, and you tell them that it's not exactly going to feel the same in five years. And they look at you and they smile, and it usually says something to the effect of, well, maybe that's true for you, right? And as a pastor, I think it's my job to say, I mean, maybe other pastors do it differently. That's my take, but love changes because love is a choice. Feeling in love, that fades. You tell them you don't actually love each other yet, and that might be offensive, but it's true. You just really like them right now. Love is a choice that you live out. See, God can't command a feeling. Nowhere in the Bible am I told to be happy all the time. But I am told to be joyful because joy is a choice that I make. 
Like is a feeling. I fall into and out of like with things all the time, right? I, I have a, a, a hard confession to share with you. Uh, I have been a, a fan of Duke basketball for the last 27 years. I have liked Duke basketball, but, but this year, I'm just not that into it. I fell out of like with it. And I will tell you, yesterday was the Duke North Carolina game, which for me is usually like second Christmas. Uh, but this year, I chose to work on a project at home instead of turn on uh, the basketball game. Uh, and, and so I think I'll be back. I think I'll you know, like them again in the future. But this year, it just it came and went. That's a feeling, right? It, it was there, and then it was gone. Now, I like my wife most of the time, okay? I never stood up before God and witnesses and promised to like her all the time because I could never have made that promise, right? But I stood up before God and witnesses, actually over there for anyone that was here uh, 16 years ago, um, and promised to love her all the time. Because love is a choice that I have to continue to make. Love is a choice, and, and God makes it an old commandment and a new commandment and says, you must choose to love one another. It's not feeling, it's a choice. Second sort of clarifying point is this, not everything is loving. Now, we live in a, in a world, in a culture that tells us that the most loving thing that we can do is accept everyone as they are and celebrate whatever it is that they want us to celebrate. Is that not the world that we're in? And they know what the Bible says, and so when they come to Christians, they're like, you're supposed to be loving. We know what that Jesus said, and, and so you have to celebrate what I'm celebrating. But God clearly lays out for us guidelines of, of what's good for us and what's harmful of us, and, and we are not to celebrate those things that God says are harmful for us, those things that are sinful if someone is materialistic and, and is all about just making more money and life is just about more toys and a bigger house, love for them is not celebrating that, right? And there's, there's lots of other areas we could apply this to. Homosexual marriage, religious pluralism, that I can believe whatever religion I want, your truth, my truth, it doesn't matter, right? Or just the, the, the overwhelming love of themselves, this, this elevation of self, you have to celebrate me in that. And there are times when the most loving thing to do with someone is to not celebrate and to not endorse those things. Because see, Jesus loved people, and at times that was through telling them that they were out of bounds. See, Jesus loved the Pharisees, but he didn't come up to them and say, good job, guys, keep it up. He came up to him and said, you guys are out of bounds here, and you're leading people astray here. He didn't celebrate what they were trying to celebrate, their own self-righteousness. The third one is, is love takes intention. I rarely love well on accident. I, I don't often look back in my life and see how I accidentally loved someone. If I'm going to love someone, I have to choose to love someone. Now, I say this of myself, and, and hopefully more often than not jokingly, but I say that I am either getting fitter or getting fatter at any given moment in life. So maybe some of you are like, I relate, but you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, but for us, that can be very true with our relationship with loving others. There have been times when it's a, a very active, 
active love and, and you're, you're working on loving those around you. And then there's, there's other times where I'm just not. It's not a regular choice in my life. I begin to, to lose focus and, and lose energy and, and, and I begin to drift, as John would say, sort of into the darkness. But much like our physical health, at times we need a checkup. We need to see how we're doing. We need to see what areas of our life we, we need to change to get back on track. And where have my efforts to love others, where has that fallen off? What, what relational stumbling blocks have I allowed to be placed in, in people's lives that, that get in the way of me loving them? Fourth point, clarification. Loving others is not done through our own power. Christian love for others is not something that we can muster solely through our own strength. Even with the best of intentions, we just can't do it fully. Now, by nature, that is sort of a, the sin nature that, that lives uh, within us, we are, are self-centered and hurtful. Left to my own, I am all about my wants and my needs, and I'm good at it. I assume you are too. But God doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't then empower us to do. See, we love because he first loved us. See, when I'm focusing on how much God loves me and what God has done for me, then I can get out of the way and love those around me. As I'm filled with God's love and I allow the Holy Spirit to work within me, I've actually got something to share now when it comes to loving others. I've got the desire and the drive and the willpower as God's love comes through me. And the fifth sort of clarification is actually a warning. Uh, and it's that it's easy to be self-deceived when it comes to love. Verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. See, it's easy to think that we are being loving. It's easy to think that what we're doing is best, but we get deceived. And we see ourselves from a, a sin-stained perspective. But John warns us that we can get blinded to the truth, that we can walk in darkness when we tell ourselves that something is loving when in reality it's, it's not. That what we're, maybe what we're proclaiming, sort of our Christianity with our words, what we're saying, isn't being followed up by the way that we live our life. So I would challenge you just to be thoughtful. If you aren't being loving, who do you have in your life that you have let in, that knows you, that can point that out to you? That can have that tough, loving conversation of saying, you're living in the darkness right now, and you need to get back into the light. Love is not new. It's not a new concept. It's, it's very old. And one thing I'm appreciating about John as, as we've been going through him together as a church is that he doesn't make it complicated. But when Jesus is the bar, and it is a high bar, and it's not a bar that I'm going to reach on accident, it's not a bar that I'm going to reach on my own. That John does it in this sort of simple way. He doesn't make being a follower of Jesus complicated, and so I think neither should we, right? If I had to sum up sort of what John has taught us so far as we're sort of about 
you know, halfway through chapter two here, I would sum it up with this, what we've learned. Know God, know Jesus, obey God, and love others. See, it starts with Jesus, and that's where we began at the beginning of, of 1 John in, in chapter one. Uh, and it's that love for Jesus and then that commitment to obey what Jesus tells us to do, right? And then living that out by choosing to love others. Know Jesus, obey God, and love others. Now, for closing, since we're talking about love, there's kind of one passage in Scripture uh, that it would be hard not to go to. Uh, and Paul uh, writes this beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, as he speaks about love. Picking up at the beginning of the chapter, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast, but is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Skipping ahead to, to 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, it's not easy to love well, but it is possible to love well. Because God loved us well. And we can in turn show that to those that are closest to us and sort of ever radiating circles of love wherever it is that God takes us. But we certainly need his help. Amen? Let me pray. Uh, Lord, I am, I am thankful that, uh, that you help. Because <laughs> if I had to love in my own strength, in my own power, Lord, maybe I'd have a good week or a good day but Lord, it runs out because I'm selfish and I'm a sinner and I like me. But Lord, you call me to think about others and to not just think about them, but to love them and to not just love them to follow a command, but to love them as Jesus loved others. And that takes it to a whole new level. And so Lord, I ask for myself and, and I presume that I ask for my friends here listening today that, that you would help us that you would help us see the areas of our hearts that, that have sort of given in to darkness and, and are not uh, allowing your love and your light to shine through, that, that we would make the necessary changes to be all about your love. Heavenly Father, give us eyes that can see opportunity and a will and a desire to live it out when it presents itself. Heavenly Father, my hope for myself and my hope for everyone here is that we would love well, that we would love like Jesus loves. Help us do that, Lord, because I, I can't do it on my own, and I need your help. I ask this in the name of my Savior who gave it all for me so that I could love others. Jesus, amen.